morning. Foothill Bible Church is my church, but I know some people here maybe haven't met me before, or my family. You probably wonder if it's your church, why don't we see you around? <laughs> I have been here twice in the last four months. It's pretty good. And as far as Promise knows, she probably thinks I'm coming every time because we were here the last time she was here a year ago. But let me just ask Lillian and Sarah to stand up for those of you who haven't met them. And my name is Dan, who we are, and I'll explain why we haven't been here very much. Uh, we've been here actually since we've been part of this church since it started. But in 95, the church wanted to reach to areas that had less opportunity to hear the gospel. And so they asked us if we'd be interested in going to some area like that. And we found that the country of Brazil, especially in some of the indigenous areas, had some places that definitely had less opportunity to hear the gospel, especially in their own language. Some of the people didn't even speak any language that had a Bible. Uh, they didn't speak the national language Portuguese. They spoke their own indigenous language. And so we spent the last 12 years working in two indigenous people groups in Brazil, the Makushi and the Ingariko groups. Uh, we were able to work especially in the Makushi because... They did speak some Portuguese, and we were able to communicate better with them. Uh, they had some churches already planted. They had the, script, the New Testament, at least, in their own language, too, for those who didn't speak Portuguese. And so we spent time there uh, training leaders, doing evangelism, discipleship, things like that, and watching the indigenous people themselves uh, begin to take over that ministry. And then among the Ingariko, that was a pioneering work. They didn't have any missionaries among them. Uh, we were starting on that just as a, a family. And then eventually we were able to start working with uh, another couple, a couple of Brazilian missionaries from the city of Brazil, reaching out to their own indigenous people of their country. And then it was just uh, about four months ago that we moved from Brazil to the U.S. as the home office of our mission, Crossworld, asked if we would come live in Philadelphia instead of Brazil. A little bit of a change. Uh, it was hard for us to leave the people who we had begun starting relationships with there and uh, some that we were seeing going on to follow the Lord and we wanted to go along with them. But uh, finally, after a lot of prayer, we believed that God was saying, no, it's time for them to go on <laughs> trusting in me instead of in you and let them do the work. So we were really thankful that uh, both in our, our visiting village ministry among the Makushi that we kept continuing on right until the time we left, as well as in the pioneering ministry in both of those areas, Brazilian missionaries were able to come in and continue that on. Now, that same Toyota that we were driving up there and the same airplane that flew us into those remote areas, uh, now it's taking them there and they're continuing to carry the word. And we're also thankful that we're still part of that ministry because as we came now to Cross World, uh, we have four areas of responsibility around the world and, and one of them is the place that we just left from. Uh, the northern part of Brazil. So uh, we're still definitely involved with them, stay in contact these days mostly by email. <laughs> Every morning my inbox is just stuffed, like most of you know what that's like, and just trying to, to work on that. Uh, contact sometimes with phone, and whenever they're in the U.S., they come by the mission. We get to, to talk to them one-on-one. -on -one. <clears throat> we also make visits, visits too. We, we don't have any visits planned this year back to that area probably, but... Uh, we'll be making visits back there. The other areas, and I've shared this with uh, 
some of you who are in the fellowship group this morning, the Jim Wines group. Uh, the other areas are the eastern, the northeastern part of Brazil, the mouth of the Amazon, where there's a variety of ministries going on there. Uh, there's street children ministry, church planning in the cities, church planning in the indigenous areas. Uh, there's an interesting music ministry there with steel pan drums. Uh, there's just a, a lot of things going on there that now, as being in charge of that, I kind of have to organize that and understand it and, and strategize. So that's another area, as well as uh, Puebla, Mexico. It's a very uh, kind of a new ministry as we're going into uh, one targeting one specific subdivision. You think, well, one subdivision, that's not very many people. Well, there it is. It's 50,000 people in one subdivision as uh, the houses are just built one right next to the other. Literally, I mean, they use the same wall between two houses. They're 10 feet wide and they just go right up the block. And people are moving in every day, new people that are displaced from where they were, kind of in a phase of their life of change, and it's a good opportunity then. We have seven families that are there, cross-world missionaries that are trying to build relationships with them as they come into the, that subdivision. And then the other area is what we call West Asia too. I know you can't find that on a map, but that's why we call it that. Uh, it's a, one of the countries we would call limited access countries where you can't arrive in that country saying that I'm here to, to be a missionary for the cause of Jesus Christ because they would just give your passport back and, and send you back to the U.S. So uh, we plan to visit that country at the end of this year with the very first couple that Crossroad is sending there. Uh, there are missionaries there from other, uh, other mission agencies. I think there are about 120 missionaries in the country and about 120 believers in the country. So a lot of work to be done. Uh, I guess you could just take maybe one section here, and that's all of the believers in the entire country. So... You can see that it's an unreached area. And uh, these, this couple will be going then in as, uh, as language students initially for two years and then trying to see what will they be doing next, some kind of business maybe, uh, some type of a service that could help the community, but not evangelical missionary, at least in title. But the relationships that are formed then lead to conversations, uh, opportunities to, to tell you know, who is the, the root cause of their life? You know, who is the life that is, is inside of them? And that's Jesus Christ, their Savior. So, so they'll be having those opportunities in God's timing. I'm just going to catch you up briefly, too, on our family. I like to do that when we get back because it changes every time. Uh, it was about a year ago that uh, our oldest son, David, married Kathleen. They're still living up in the Santa Rosa area. Uh, they're planning to go also to work among the Makushi people in Brazil and do those same kind of visits out to the villages to encourage the, the indigenous uh, pastors and leaders. Um, right now, uh, Dave is just going to be starting into a, a school year job at a Christian camp. They're doing something interesting. It's called the Genesis Project, where public schools in the area can send their science classes on a field trip to learn about science. And so they go to this camp and go into nature and learn about science without the aspect of evolution being intertwined with it. It's just pure science. Uh, they can't intertwine either creation too much into it, but, but that's always available there as questions and answers come up. So that's an opportunity that uh, David is going to be trained for that next month, and then he'll be working there for the school year, just kind of trying to make ends meet as they, as they work through uh, preparing for the mission field. And his wife, Kathleen, also will be, be working there at the camp. 
our second son, Joel, he just graduated from Moody Bible Institute. We were over there for his graduation in May. Uh, it was an exciting time, and, and he was able to make a trip to a couple limited access countries also uh, for his internship. He spent six weeks in the Middle East and uh, able to work with a Bible translator in some linguistics areas, which is his major. So he just came back from that last week, and uh, now he has one more class that he needs to either test out of or, or pass, or take, actually take the class. That they let him go through his graduation knowing that that one was still there, but he can't forget about it. So he's got to deal with that, and then, uh, then he'll be looking for where God wants to lead him, uh, looking at mission field probably in Asia also. And then our daughter Sarah is here with us today. She just has a week left before she flies back to Chicago to start her third year at Moody in elementary education. So she's going to be doing her first student teaching this year and getting more into the actual education classes. So that's where we're at. Um, we're living, my wife and I are living right now in uh, near Philadelphia, where the mission headquarters is. I think some of you probably heard about the, the fact that our, our mission was trying to evaluate how can we, how can we be better managers or stewards of the finances that that the Lord brings to us through contributions. And so they started looking at the possibility of sharing services, you know, kind of like you see happening around here, maybe with like A&W Root Beer and Kentucky Fried Chicken. <laughs> it's like, aren't those different companies? I don't even know if they are. It could be all one conglomerate. But sometimes they actually are two different companies sharing the same griddle, <laughs> same oil, <laughs> all those things. You know? It tastes like it, too. But... In this case, uh, we would be two different missions that would be sharing especially our uh, financial services, the accounting department, uh, information services, the computers, and some of the like hospitality area, training center, conference center, things like that that every mission needs, but they don't necessarily need it to be all separate. So we did find another mission about the same size as our mission in Kansas City, Missouri, and we're in conversations right now to try to make a final decision by the end of this month if it looks like it's really going to fly because both missions have been around for over 70 years and so their accountants have ways of doing things their way and and the computer guys like their kind of software and so there's all these different things that, that everybody has uh, kind of set and we have to see how much we can bend to actually come together but if that happens then we would be moving uh, probably sometime next year from the Philadelphia area to Kansas City, Missouri area. So either place is okay with us. We have no connection really <laughs> to either one except for the mission. So wherever the mission goes, we'll go. But it would be a little bit closer to Southern California if we were in Kansas City. So we're just going to be here in this area now, uh, today and tomorrow. Tuesday we'll be driving up to Northern California to spend a week with David and Kathleen. So we're looking forward to that time. I don't really know if I need to preach this morning after Peter and Chris were up here. Wow, that, those were sermons already. Uh, really appreciated hearing that. Uh, appreciated hearing Jesse's sermon on the piano, too. That was fantastic. I, I have a few more things to say, but not too much more needs to be said. Uh, when we were living in one of the indigenous villages there in Brazil, it was interesting that uh, we didn't have utilities we didn't have running water, any kind of plumbing. We didn't have uh, electricity coming in on wires. We just put a solar panel out there and uh, a battery. And some, some of you actually got to see that. Some people were able to visit there and see that. 
I know that uh, David Forsyth, Scott Collins, they were there. Dennis Wilson was there, for those of you who know him. We were able to come right to uh, our house there in the village. Uh, the Johnson family also, Richard and Wanda Johnson and their family, came down to the city, but we weren't able to take them to the village because of the political climate at the time. It's always kind of sensitive when you can go in the reservation and when you can't. But when they were there, they saw all of that set up and, and they experienced uh, how you have to get water in a situation like that. There's a hand-dug well. It's about 45 feet deep. Fortunately, it's just outside where the house was that we were living. And it's kind of nostalgic for me looking back at it now. There's a lot of memories to you hear the squeaking of the pulley and and just you know, listening to that as my wife would be out there pulling up the bucket, 25-pound bucket. Well, not just my wife. <laughs> uh, Lillian did her part in it, that's for sure, but so did David, Joel, and Sarah, and me, uh, because it was constant need. You always need water, you know, washing the dishes, pouring in the filter so we could drink it, and just constant need. So we would go out there and uh, pull that, that bucket up you know, from way deep in that well. And so when they, I get into the Bible, you know, that's how they lived then. It's a little easier to understand how water was so much on their mind and how, how important that was to them. If you look in John 4, that's where we find the, <clears throat> the story of Jesus in John 4 was as he stopped by one of those wells. I don't know if they had a pulley, if this lady who was getting water at that time had a pulley or not. It really helps, but she might have just been pulling it up, you know, with her back. Uh, getting ready to pull the water up from that well. While you're turning there too, let me just mention one thing that happened with that well is interesting, that we were, since the well was paid for by the missionaries and it was right by our house, we kind of considered that to be our well. Most of the people in the village had for years always got water from the creeks around there. Uh, They had dug some wells, but they hadn't dug them as deep as ours, so they only worked in rainy season. In the dry season, there is no water down there. Well, one particular dry season got really dry, so much that the creek, the close creek, was also drying up. Of course, there was another one that was only a 10-minute walk away that they could go carry you know, 50 pounds of water back from if they really wanted to. But for some reason, they thought it would be easier to come and use our well. That was kind of a surprise to us because we hadn't ever seen that happen. We were just used to always going out there, and we were the only ones that used it, and we always kept it clean and closed the lid and everything. So this one day we were eating lunch and I saw the neighbor girl, probably about an 11, 12-year-old girl, come walking over with a bucket. I wonder what she's doing. And she came over to the well and there she was using our well, you know, getting our water out and putting it in her bucket. And so I, I walked out to her and I thought, you know, there's 400 people in this village and if I let her do it, then they're all going to be here, you know, using up all this water. Who knows if there's going to be enough for us? And then what do we do? So I talked to her and I said, uh, look, um, we don't usually have other people using the well. Go ahead and take that, that bucket, but don't plan on getting it from here. You can get it from the creek or someplace like that. And she said, well, the creek is dried up. And I said, well, the other one, you know. So she didn't say anything else after that. She got kind of serious and took her bucket back over to your house and and then I was trying to think, you know, what, what should we do in this situation here? What should I have done? So I thought, well, let's, let's see what Scripture says about it. And it was interesting. The Scripture does say a lot about wells and water and things like that. And especially, I noticed that in the story of Isaac, 
How every time that he would dig a well, somebody else would say, hey, that's our water. And he didn't fight with them about it. He just went and said, okay, and dug another well and let them have that one. And he dug another one. So after reading enough, I went over to that house and I, I went to this 11-year-old girl and said, I am really sorry uh, for what I said to you. Um, this land that we're on, it, it's your land, not ours. <laughs> you know, we dug a hole in it to get water, but uh, you know, we can't say that this is our water just because we dug that well. So uh, whenever you need to get water, just come on over and we'll pray that there's plenty of water in that well. And so through all of that, that dry season, there was water. There was always water and everybody started using it then. Uh, they all started using it. One thing that was good is that they realized they could dig their own wells deeper too. After they kind of got started use, being used to well water instead of river water, they started digging their own wells deeper and then you know, kind of spread out. There were three or four places that people could go. But that was really just helped me to see how important it is in, in that kind of a, a culture where you don't just turn on the faucet and get it. Of course, who knows if that could happen here, right? I mean, you always read about the, the droughts and what's going on around here also. But in this particular situation, Jesus initiated the conversation in John 4, chapter 7, just by asking for a drink as he stopped by this well on his trip. And in verse 9, the woman that was there said, you know, you're asking a drink from me? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan? That, that didn't quite make sense to her because that didn't normally happen. And look in verse 10 then what Jesus answered. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. That's such a neat idea, living water, water that gives life. Now, she seemed to be kind of polite because she said, sir, uh, but that's as far as it went, because then she got really pretty cynical and said, uh, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water that you're talking about? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? And so Jesus just kept being calm and said uh, to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. If you look in your bulletin, I, I outlined this for us to be able to follow the thoughts here a little bit better. And, and what you can see, first of all, when he talks about this living water, is it's living water that's coming to us, calling it like inflow, living water coming in to our lives. And it comes in by whoever drinks of the water whoever is thirsty drinking of the water. And I looked really in verses 39 to 42 to see how do you do that? How do you drink of this water? If somebody is thirsty, how do they get that water, that, the living water that Jesus is offering, the water that gives spiritual life? In verse 39 it says, Many of the Samaritans, the friends and neighbors of, of that lady, Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, Now we believe, not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him, and we know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. 
So it's clear that drinking of the water is believing that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. When we look in Scripture and understand what believing means in Scripture, it involves completely relying, trusting just in that, just in the fact that Jesus Christ came to be the Savior, just in the fact that He's the one that in His death died to pay the price for the sins that I had done. Trusting only in his death and in his resurrection and nothing else to be able to save me from my sin. Of course, if we're wanting to be saved from our sin, that also means that we're not wanting to continue on in sin, right? We're making a a decision in our mind that, no, we're turning from the sin. We want salvation from that sin. And so as our heart then has that, what we would call repentance, turning from sin, trusting only in Christ to save us, in that moment then, Jesus gives us the living water. Jesus gives us what I said right here back in verse 14, the water that is a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So that's why I said it's a faith-initiated flow. That water comes to us by us putting our trust, having faith, believing that only Jesus Christ's death can forgive can bring forgiveness for our sins. And so that's a message that you've heard a lot of times here. That's a message that some of you have already put your faith in. Some of you already trust that Christ is your Savior. But some of you may not, and that's why I'm repeating it again today. I'm specifically bringing that message to you that haven't, at this point, the confidence that you're trusting only in Jesus Christ to be the one to forgive all of your sins and to give you life that's eternal and life that is full and fulfilling while we're on this earth. It's available to you. And as I said in the second point here, it's available in superabundance. It says in the scripture that it's a fountain, a fountain of water springing up. That word that is translated here, springing up, is the same word that was used when the lame man was healed in Acts. It says he went leaping up for joy that he was healed. Now, that's not like the kind of well that we had. <laughs> the water was not leaping up. We had to go down 45 feet with a bucket to get it. But this is the water that Jesus said is, is bringing up in our hearts, providing eternal life, life that will never end. Even when our life on this earth comes to an end, it just continues on, but in another place, in, in God's home in heaven. And so that's the message that he was giving to that woman that was at the well and to the whole city there of the Samaritans. And it said many of them believed that message. And it was really an eye-opening thing for them to say that we believe and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. Because at that time, most people felt like the most he could be was the Messiah for the Jewish people. But these Samaritans, who are only half Jewish, recognized that he's more than the Messiah for the Jewish people. He is the Savior of the world for all peoples, for all languages, for all groups of people that are out there. There's just one more confirmation of of the fact that it's faith that initiates this. You see, I have written down there John 6.35. You could just briefly look at that. Where Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. And then he said, he who believes in me shall never thirst. So once again, there he's connecting that belief, that trust in Christ, as being the way the living water comes into a person's life. And the results 
The results are eternal because it brings us the everlasting life. But that faith in Christ is not just so that we can have the everlasting life and so that we can have our, our sins forgiven so that it's just for our life. That eternal life that Jesus gives us isn't just supposed to affect our life. But also, when we look in John chapter 7, we see that it's supposed to flow out. It doesn't just flow in from God, but it flows out of us also. In John chapter 7, let's turn over there and look at verse, verses 37 through 39. Let me just give a little bit of background before we read that. Uh, it says the first few words, say it's the, the last day, that great day of the feast. This was at the time that the Jewish people were celebrating a feast called the Feast of Tabernacles. And I won't go into the whole explanation, but on the last day, one of the ceremonies that they did was that uh, a priest would take a golden pitcher, carry it out to, uh, to one of the, the pools that they had in, in Jerusalem. Uh, I think it was the Pool of Siloam. Yeah, they would always go to the Pool of Siloam they would fill it up. They would come into the water gate of Jerusalem. That word has another meaning in our culture, but in that culture it meant the gate where you go to get water. Right? They would come into the water gate and then they would come uh, over to, back to the temple area. And then he would take that, about a quart of water, pour it into a funnel that was at the side of the altar. And the water would go down there into the, the base of the altar uh, where the fire was. And I imagine make a, a huge amount of steam and, you know, with all of the people, not only from Jerusalem, but from all over Israel and from many other countries, they would all come together, all the Jewish people that had been scattered into other countries, standing around and watching this water being poured out. And the rabbis taught that that water was, was representing the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, as it was being poured out there. And Jesus then is at that feast. He's watching that celebration. After they would pour the water, they would... They would then recite the words of the Hallel Psalms. Hallel just means uh, praise. The specific Psalms were Psalm 113 through 118 that we have you know, in our numbering system now. And the end of Psalm 118, there's several verses there. One of them says, uh, The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. One verse says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. Another one says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so after they poured that water and they started reciting those psalms, then they would, they would end at the end of Psalm 118. And there was kind of a pause there while they would get ready to do the actual sacrifices, the sacrificial ceremony. And we don't know exactly when Jesus spoke, but I would imagine it might have been right about at that time, as there was a symbology of the water and there was that pause in all of the people reciting and just a quietness for a moment. That might be when this happened. On the last day, look in verse 37, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Crying out in a loud voice, because he has a lot of people, and he didn't have one of these microphones. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. So he had an opportunity there to say something very controversial, in fact, he didn't even come to the beginning of the feast because there are so many people out to kill him. But there in that moment where all those people are gathered around, he's claiming that he is the one who can be the one to provide that water. 
come to me and drink. And then it explains in verse 39 that he did mean exactly the Holy Spirit. He was talking about that. This he spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we have Jesus speaking out in that loud voice to all of those people and then the explanation of of what he's talking about there. Again, the faith that we just talked about, the faith that brought eternal life into our heart, that same faith, that same belief and trust that we had at that time as we began our, our life with Christ is supposed to have other results happening in our life. And so again, you can see I use the same outline. It's not because I couldn't think of another one. It's because it is the same. It's the same three points. Again, this flow outward from us is also initiated by that same faith. As we came to Christ, the idea was not just that we could receive eternal life, but that now God could begin using us uh, kind of like a water pipe, if you want to look at it that way. That as he put his Holy Spirit into our lives, that he wants the power of that Holy Spirit and the work of the Spirit to be flowing through us. Not that we're the ones that are accomplishing very much. How much... How much does a water pipe do to get the water from one place to another? It, it just lets the water go through, doesn't it? In fact, if you look over in, uh, in 2 Corinthians, you can see that the power for all of that is from God. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is a chapter that I have to go back to a lot to remind myself who is doing the ministry and who is the tool or the vessel, or the pipeline that's not really doing it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 7, this may not be exactly the same metaphor of a water pipe, probably more like a clay pot, but the same concept when it says, but we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. So when we think about how the, the faith and the belief that we have in God allows the Holy Spirit to be flowing through us, we're talking about God's power doing something through us, not our human abilities accomplishing anything. Remember, Jesus told his disciples that if you, if you try to do anything without me, you, you can't do it. He said, without me, you can do nothing. You have to abide in me. Again, the supply is abundant. It says, uh, he who believes in me, back in John 7, 38, he who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. It's the living water again, and he uses the word rivers, which is the same word that's used like for the Euphrates River, this huge river. It's the same word that's used for those, the, the rain and the waters that tore down the foolish man's house in Jesus story about the the foolish man and the wise man. So it's this flowing, abundant flow of water, abundant flow of the power of the Holy Spirit that's there available for us. And how can the results be eternal? The results can be eternal because some of the fruit of the Spirit will have the results of other people coming to the water. Other people who are thirsty coming to know Christ other people putting their their trust and their faith in Christ. And then for them, they receive eternal life. That's an eternal result. 
As I was thinking more for my own, I was, I was actually studying this on my own one day and, and thinking about this illustration of a, of a water pipe and the water flowing through it and just trying to think, then, well, why? You know, if, if we're water pipes and there's infinite pressure and volume of water available to flow through that, why don't I always see it flowing through my life? And I was looking back in my life, you know, I remember back uh, when I needed to first come to Christ. In fact, just look at, at one other verse back in, in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 2. This is how God uh, characterizes us before we come to know Him. In Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 13, this is how I was before I knew Christ as my Savior, before I had trusted Him. It says Jeremiah 2.13. He's talking here to people that He had given His Word to. He had, he had chosen them to be His people. He said, come and follow Me. Be My people. But this is what they chose to do. It says, My people have committed two evils. They have forsaken Me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Some reservoir where you would pour some water, it would get stagnant anyway, but it won't even stay there because it's broken. That's the spiritual condition that I was in before I trusted Christ as my Savior. And God says, I am the fountain. I'm the source of all life. I'm the source of physical life because I created everything, and I'm the source of spiritual life and eternal life. The fountain of living waters, the source of all life. But then I knew that there was a point in my life where I came to trust Christ, just like we read back in, in John 4. I had come to Him. He had given me the living water. He had put that in my life. And it had come in. The living water had come into me. The eternal life. The Holy Spirit was inside of me. I knew for sure that the Trinity was inside of me. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit living His life in me. But why wouldn't it be lived out through me then? <laughs> If all of that potential is there, why wouldn't it be, be being lived out in my life? And I started realizing that uh, if you have a water pipe that has obstructions in it, things that inhibit the flow of water, no matter how much volume of water might be back there available, that doesn't mean that it's going to be coming out the other end. Maybe a little bit will, and I think that was true in my life. That I, I can see some of God's life being lived out through me. I'm excited when it happens and encouraged. That, oh, it can happen, but not as much as I would think. And, and I had to look, you know, what, what can inhibit that? And every one of us can find some things in our lives that may be inhibiting the flow of what God wants to do through, the, through God himself living his life through us. Jesus Christ, it says, you know, Paul said in Galatians 2, that the life we live now isn't really our life. It's the life of Jesus Christ that's being lived out to us. He said that we should be controlled by the Holy Spirit, that that life is being lived out. So, you know, what is stopping it? Sometimes it could be specific sins we have in our lives. I think sometimes it could be some fears. We're afraid to, to let it flow too much. We're afraid to let our life really be lived the way that Christ would live it through us. So we, we stop it. We say, oh, not, not that way, not over here. But sometimes we may actually 
like in our homes, hopefully we have pipelines that don't have a bunch of obstructions. You know, we got rid of all those old style ones way back, right there, where it could corrode inside and everything. So now we have these nice clean pipes and the, the faucet and have our sink there and we can turn the, the water on, slow it down, speed it up however we want. And it all looks very normal, expected, controlled. Um, that's the way it should be, right? Well, I'm saying that we should take a two by four and knock the faucet off of there and let that water just flow without anything stopping it. Because sometimes our lives are like that, where we have things kind of under control. Sometimes we might want God to work through us somewhat, and so we let it open a little, and sometimes a little more, but oh, not, not this time. I'm gonna, I have other ideas, and we can just close that down a little bit, or we can even turn it off if we want to, right? And that's not the picture that we see here. When he says, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And when a fireman doesn't go out to a fire with one of those little garden hoses with the little restrictor nozzle and spray on the water, right? He wants full flow. And Jesus wants full flow living uh, from our lives. Now, it might sound, I guess, kind of radical. <laughs> it wouldn't be necessarily helpful in your, in your home to have the water just spraying all over the place. But remember what the metaphor is. It's the Holy Spirit living through our lives controlling our lives and we know the fruit of the spirit is love you know as that water is flowing out as the holy spirit's working through us it's going to be doing things that are helpful that are better for the lives of other people i'm not saying that it's something that's you know so radical that we're just going to be living in some bizarre manner and being obnoxious and uncontrolled and politically and socially completely you know out to lunch that's that's not the kind of thing i'm talking about uh, it's not that you, you have to be uh, completely bizarre. But it is true that in a society that expects things to be done in a certain way, we may not always fit in. We may not fit in very smoothly into a society that doesn't honor God, a society that doesn't want to hear about what Jesus Christ did, that doesn't want to know that the Holy Spirit is controlling us and, and bringing living water to them. And so... Let that happen then. <laughs> it's okay. It's, it may not be uh, socially acceptable to have water flowing out of your sink all over your house either. But it is okay for us to have the Holy Spirit flowing freely and fully through our lives, even when that may not be the expected in our particular community, our relationships, in our society. Because we have around us a world that doesn't expect that kind of that kind of life flowing through anybody. The fruit of the spirit is also one of the other ones that's mentioned is kindness, and there's gentleness. So I'm not talking about wild, <laughs> crazy living just because you have that full flow of water, but I'm talking about complete control of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit living His life through us and affecting other people through that. It needs to be unlimited. We need to, to be able to look in our lives and see, well, what, what is it uh, that's really stopping us? And I think a lot of times it, it could be fear. You know, that we're afraid of something. Um, and I'm not saying that we, should be, that we should be like unprepared. You know, when I was talking about that the, the power is of God and not of us, I'm not saying that that means 
that we should just go say, oh, I, I'm incompetent, I can't do anything, let's let God do it through me. No, not that idea. You know, Paul was the one who wrote that verse that said, the power is of God and not of me, but he was certainly prepared. I mean, he had studied God's Word all his life, and he spent uh, three years specifically in communion with God in Arabia, learning what God wanted him to teach. So he, he did the preparation. He was prepared. But even then, when it came time to give the word, he knew that it wasn't his. He knew that it was God's work going through him. That's the kind of life that I'm talking about, a radical control of the Spirit that results in, in the fruit of the Spirit. But we do hang on to those fears sometimes, don't we? We wonder, well, you know, what if I step out into this? What if I go out to a point where I, I don't have exact control over it anymore. I don't, uh, I don't see how I can possibly do it in and of myself. And those are some things that, that really you can think about during this week. Some of the things even that I included on here uh, with the application questions is if I want to have uninhibited, full flow control of the Holy Spirit working through my life, then what are some things that I need to get out of the way and what are some fears that I need to just say, God, I give it to you? I think most people who have gone into some of these cross-cultural things into other countries have had to do that because you are going into a place that you don't really know how people do things there. There's a lot of things that you don't understand and a lot of unknowns. You don't know what's going to happen. But it can happen here too. Uh, maybe some people are were listening to Chris this morning and thinking, oh, I don't think I could do that. You know, uh, that's a little bit beyond me. Good. It's a little bit beyond you. That's exactly where you need to be. Because then the power of the Holy Spirit working through you can do it instead of you trying to do it with your abilities. There's a lot of things that you can probably think of that, that you can see God change in your life. And I saw him change in my life and there's still more that he needs to change in my life so that as he has all of the power, all of that full ability, a reservoir of an infinite reservoir of ability to accomplish his work through my life, those things that I need to get out of the way so that he can just do it, so that he can accomplish it. Let's pray that, that we can each find those things and that we can let him take those out of our way. We can hand those fears over to him. I wanted to close with this, this quote. I don't know if some of you read the book by John Piper called Don't Waste Your Life, possibly. I haven't. <laughs> but I saw an email the other day. I think this is a quote from it, but I'm not sure. But it, is, it did say on there, John Piper, at the end, so I, I hope so. But this is what he said, and maybe if you've read the book, you can verify. He said, Oh, how many lives are wasted by people who believe that the Christian life means simply avoiding badness and providing for the family. So there is no adultery, no stealing, no killing, no embezzlement, no fraud. Just lots of hard work during the day, lots of TV and PG-13 videos in the evening during quality family time, right? and lots of fun stuff on the weekend, woven around church, mostly. This is life for millions of people. Wasted life. We were created for more, far more. 
So let's not just have a goal in our life of avoiding all the bad things and all those sins we always hear about. But let's have a goal of seeing what are the amazing things that the power of the Holy Spirit working through our life can accomplish. The positive things that God wants to do through our life and not let our life be a wasted life. Let's pray. Father, we trust that you can work in our hearts. We know that you have. We know that you are right now. And we look forward to how you want to continue changing us, how you want to turn up the flow, how you want to increase the power of your Spirit working through us, how you want the Son, how you want the life of your Son, Jesus Christ, to be lived through us. Father, we believe that you can do it. Give us the faith to really take those steps, even if it seems like we're out farther than we want to be on a limb and we don't know who's going to hold it up. Father, we can be confident that it is you. It's you that is going to provide the ability, the the power, and you're the one that's going to, to do your will through our lives. Father, they're yours. Our lives are completely to be used for you. And we We trust you, God, to remove those things that could be inhibiting your flow in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.